0: Exploration, travel, and adventure in the quote-unquote world will eventually reveal secrets heretofore hidden, and the joy of actually earning them will be well worth the wait. Enjoy the game, and always bear in mind that it is fantasy. Magical worlds have a strange way of differing, but while yours may not be quite the same as the one described here, it is ripe for adventure and plunder. Cleverness and imagination, along with a bit of luck, will always prevail won't they? Gary Gygax, from the introduction of Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, Player's Handbook.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Rogues in the House podcast. This is the first time Matt has introduced this show, and uh, I feel immense pressure weighing upon my shoulders. Like the strongest oxen in the stable, I'm wearing the yoke of responsibility, and here we are. I'm happy to report that, uh, Dean is back co-hosting. Um, and I'm also thrilled to report that today we have Jason Ray Carney in this rogues house. Um, no Alex, no Logan, but we can do without those rogues for an episode. I feel.
0: (laughs) Isn't Logan enjoying some time away?
1: Logan is in Mexico loving it. And I am jealous after all this time, uh, in these uh, frigid northern climes. Uh, you know, I, I want a vacation too, but alas, here we are.
2: Logan should uh, do a guest appearance uh, on this episode in Spanish. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Spanish Richard Dreyfus. He's not here to defend himself, so I'm going to call him Richard <laughs> Dreyfus even more. Actually, I saw, I saw that uh, NECA Toys, you know, who does all those licensed action figures, are releasing a, um, a Richard Dreyfus from Jaws action figure like logan you're gonna need to have that my friend yeah so today i don't need to introduce dean i feel like we know who dean is at this point
2: thank you for Um, letting me come back
1: well yeah this is a revolving house of rogues here okay let's go well i don't know how revolving it is but we're kind of taking a more laissez-faire attitude of let's just have people on let's just make this house, um, let's fill this house up with, with all of the rogues. Right. So today Jason Ray Kearney is joining us. And I suspect that if you are a listener of this show and a reader of sword and sorcery, especially, uh, the modern sword and sorcery, you know who this man is. He is an editor, an author, an academic, Ooh, highbrow word. Uh, a stalwart of the SNS indie scene. That's my descriptor. I feel like he is that. Uh he's a gamer. He's a mini painter. He's all of those uh he fills all of those nerdy roles that most of us also do, uh to one extent or another. So Jason, how you doing?
2: Uh I'm I'm doing pretty good. That uh introduction kind of intimidated me. Um but uh <laughs> yeah I, I I would uh Claim the title of uh, nerd is uh, my favorite title. So. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's fair. And that's probably the one that keeps us all the most grounded, right? Yeah. <laughs> you you say nerd, it's still a pejorative in places. So uh, <laughs> that's okay.
0: Do, do you prefer nerd to geek or do you use them interchangeably?
1: So that's a great question. Let,
0: let me hear your answer first.
2: Well, I've, I've never really uh, understood the distinction. What's the difference? I think
0: not to me, but I think many people think that a nerd is the um, uh, more on the intellectual side, Mm -hmm, and geek is more on the "I am crazy in love with this or that particular thing."
2: Yeah,
1: like you could be you could be a brony geek, right? But you're (laughs) not necessarily a nerd. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Listen, I got no issues with bronies. A lot of people love the bronies. I don't do the brony thing, but hell, man, whatever, (laughs) whatever brings you your equestria uh, that's that's what the world's called in brony town <laughs> so, <laughs> so cool. yeah i love it actually equestria come on that's clever <laughs> and then sometimes i get them confused in my mind i'm like are we talking about care bears or are we talking about uh my little ponies i'm sure there's a big difference and i'm sure the the brony geeks would uh would not appreciate that in any case uh, yeah, Dean, to answer that question, though, I'm, I'm kind of on your side. I feel like nerd speaks to kind of intelligence. You know, you could be like a physics nerd, but to be a geek, you're kind of more into like Batman or, you know, something a little, I don't know, less, less likely to make you money, maybe.
0: Yeah. I don't differentiate in my world, but at the same yeah. time, I do people, I do know people. I,
2: I don't they like have a certain the, way of looking at it. I don't like the term fanboy. Because uh, in graduate school, um, uh, one of my like uh, faculty um, uh, enemies—I'll even use that word—we did not hit. Uh, uh, we kind of um, uh, did not see eye to eye. He called me a glorified fanboy at one point. I was like, "Oh," because I was—I was actually writing about um, you know pulp fiction in graduate school, and uh, anyhow, I, I still remember. That. So I don't like the term fanboy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't like fanboy either. I feel it's like kind of reductive and it's also not necessarily like fanboy is like to me somebody who would absolutely melt into a puddle if they met their idol you know yeah. like even if i met my idol i don't really have idols i have people whom i respect
2: mm-hmm. but i
1: don't think i'd puddle out you know in fact i've met some of them and i haven't puddled out oh
2: really fanboys
1: like the fanboys are the same people who write the word squee you know <laughs> <laughs> they're excited about something i don't I do that
0: i can't believe you used that word <laughs> I know, I know, dude. I Listen,
1: I, I try not to be judgmental, but every time I see that one written, I'm a little like, Ugh. a grown what, person just wrote squee.
2: If, if we're talking about um, meeting one of our heroes and melting, if, if mm-hmm. you don't mind. Um, no, go for it. At uh, San Diego Comic-Con, um, Richard uh, Garriott was there. Uh, do you guys know who he is? Can't uh, say that I do. No. no. He, he, he created all the Ultima games. Oh yeah. Like, okay. Like really. Oh, okay. Influential in RPG um, computer games, um, and uh, he was dressed up as Lord British, and um, my wife was with me, and I was like, you know, I, I never want to get my picture taken with celebrities. It's just not something that like is appealing to me. But yeah. That was the one time where I'm like, all right, I have to get my picture taken with uh, uh, Richard Garriott, and <laughs> I I don't think I talked to him. I think um, my wife talked to him as I like awkwardly posed next to him.
1: Yeah, that 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 happened to me. Uh, my brother, my younger brother and I, we met um, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails. Oh, wow. Because we, yeah, we, there was this uh, benefit show he was doing. So he was doing kind of a backstage meet and greet um, to kind of raise money for this fella who was battling cancer. And so my brother and I were like, yeah, well, let's throw some money on that. Sure, that'd be cool. And I just remember it was just kind of like, uh... Thank you. You know, was the best I could manage. It was just like, cause that's really what it is. I don't know you personally, dude, but like I've yeah. adored your work. So shake yeah. his hand and move past it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and also I knew that's why we invited you on the show, Jason, because you have weird esoteric knowledge uh <laughs> about like Ultima and stuff. <laughs> that brings me back to my Sega Genesis games, I feel like, is when I may have played that. Was that uh was that on Genesis? I think it was.
2: Um, Ultima, um, uh, I think they ported some of the Ultima games to consoles. Uh, yeah. I know they ported a few to, um, NES and, uh, SNES, but, um, mm. yeah, they definitely were, um, uh, like, uh, computer, game, DOS games. Um, yeah. Their the original form. But, yeah.
1: yeah. And,
2: and then there was yeah. Ultima Online, which was the, the first, uh, graphical MMO. Uh,
1: yeah, I remember that. That was the, that was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. And that would have, that would have been before EverQuest became a giant, right?
2: Oh, yeah. 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 I think Ultima Online was 1996, and then EverQuest was a couple years after that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that Ultima was a, Online was really cool. So. Yeah. That's it was like a, be, before they, uh, really understood the genre of the MMO, um, cause there were no, like, um, you know, uh, guardrails. So, like, within 2 months of launching the game uh everybody who played by the rules were like huddling in fear in the town and then all of the people who were like with the really silly names you know like, yeah I, I don't some really strange not you know fancy rpg names yeah, were yeah. out there like murdering people so it was, and then of course they had to like you know create a system to stop uh, you know Player killing, but it's really cool. It was like a, the, the Wild West of MMOs. yeah,
1: yeah. I was just about to say that is the the Wild West of MMOs. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, one thing before we move on to the bizarre of the Bazaar,
2: okay.
1: um, have either of you played? I think I brought it up on the show once before. A game called The Immortal would have been for I don't know if it was on PC, but it was on NES and it was on Sega Genesis and like. Nobody knows what I'm talking about, but it's the coolest goddamn game.
0: I cannot say that I have played that. No,
2: was it like uh, top-down isometric graphics?
1: Yes, and you were a wizard, and you, like a like, long beard. Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah, I know this. Yeah, <laughs> and you like yeah. when
1: you would encounter an orc or a troll, it would go into a sort of a black screen. Uh, you know, really good graphics for the time, and you'd hack yeah. away at the guy, and Absolutely. you'd like slice them in half, like bisect them. It was Anyways. really
2: like in terms of color, it was really dark and kind of claustrophobic. Yeah. Okay. That game it had, was amazing.
1: Yeah. It had super cool music and it was just, I don't know. Uh, I have gothic. really fond memories. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Glad we had that.
0: <laughs> so. I, you, you've been validated. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: hilarious. Uh, Dean, I keep seeing your uh, Atlantean sword in the background there on the wall.
0: Yeah, I'm actually in my armory. This is my uh, room of collection of cutlery and such. I've got, uh, you know, the father's sword. I got uh, Valeria's sword and such. But I've also got a pretty good collection of Lord of the Rings oh, stuff. Oh, that's
2: awesome. And
0: other medieval type cutlery and sharp pointy things.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I get that fascination. I'm starting a, you know, I've been collecting myself. I got the father and the um, Atlantean from Mardo. What's your Valeria sword?
0: Um, It is, um, well. Windless? Yes. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I almost bought that, but didn't. I don't know why I didn't. But yeah. maybe I will.
2: It's, I it's pretty well done. One episode, Logan was um, making uh, fun of sword collectors, and I was—I uh, felt attacked because I collect swords. <laughs> Logan yeah. picks
1: a lot of weird fights. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, oh yeah, so Tolkien.
0: It's like, yeah, dude, right. You're he like, picks fights. On a podcast where most of the people who love that stuff yeah. are listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like he's it's brave
1: like man walking into a bunch of metalheads and taking a dump on Black Sabbath. It's like, <laughs> what are you doing? Even if you don't like it, you got to, like, anyway. it accelerates sure conversation, this. you know? <laughs> yeah, he hits the button, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> so let's travel in to uh, Liber's. Whoa, hold on, we might get trademarked there. Let's travel into. The uh, Bizarre, no, the Bazaar of the Bizarre. Yeah, there do, there do, you go. Do, 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 do. That's our high quality Wayne's World sound effects.
0: Yes, we've been transported into the Bazaar. Bazaar. Yeah.
1: So who wants to go first? Dean, I feel like I had you on the list as first. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready to
0: go. I'm ready to go. Um, what kind of caught my attention of late, um, well, first off, I just got registered for Gen Con. Gen Con is happening in September. Um, It was the easiest registration that I've ever done. Uh, Usually you get your wish list made and you go into a queue. And my numbers have always been like around the 3000s. And I was under 600. I got all the games I wanted to get registered for. So I'm good to go. Um, All four days of gaming in Indianapolis. And I plan on having a great time. I've got my family going and some friends are coming up from Texas and from, uh, another areas around the central Illinois and the Midwest. And we're going to have a great time.
1: So how long, uh, how long of a drive is it for you to, uh, yeah, two hours. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. Two hours. Totally acceptable.
0: Yeah. And the great thing is that I go across over into Eastern time. So when I come home, I get an hour back. So it's really only an hour. I'm sick. Yeah. So. But the other thing that I thought was pretty cool, and I did not even know that this existed until just a little while ago, something called, and because we're talking about games today, or I don't want to give anything away, but we are, um, Melodice, as in like mel, uh, Melodies. And it is music uh-huh. for board games. It's Melodice, M-E-L-O-D-I-C-E dot org. And you can punch in any type of game you want and – Odds are it's going to have a playlist of music for your board games. So um, let's let's give it a shot right now because um, I'm on the website. So give me a name of a game that you might want to hear music for.
1: Ooh, ooh, I know I, the obvious know, I,
0: answer. <laughs> okay, go for it. What is the obvious one?
1: Okay, so just pop on Conan on there and see what, okay. see what comes up.
0: Conan. Uh, well, we have Conan 2016, Age of Conan, Conan Collectible Card Game, Conan El juego de Cartas, uh, Munchkin Conan, Mr. Hmm. Bacon's Big Adventure. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> and so we've got four. Four Conan-related games. So if I pick 2016, yeah. it comes up, and it has holy... Oh, it's playing in the background. You can probably hear it right now. Um, it has 57 different cuts.
2: Oh, wow. And oh, what's wow. playing what's playing yeah, right now?
0: Wheel of is Pain right now. Wheel of Pain, yep. It's got stuff from Conan Exiles, Elder Scrolls, Conan the Barbarian, The Order, eighteen eighty-six soundtrack, uh, Darksiders two, Elder Scrolls, Gladiator Soundtrack, King's Bounty, Epic Music, uh So, so this is a stuff. This is a
1: website that essentially is a large database that people have tooled in yes what they it must be a community effort
0: i think so yeah because you can submit a song and put it in and if you don't have or can't find the game you can start your own playlist for it
2: wow Um, awesome one of my favorite
0: yeah one of my other favorite games is a world war ii based strategy game called memoir 44 and it's got an entire list of songs Hmm. for it so
1: Hmm. i dig it
0: yeah yeah that's very cool uh that's um, really kind of what caught my attention i think it's pretty cool it's org, and you know i always enjoy a little soundtrack music in the background when i'm gaming it makes it kind of fun hmm. and now yeah. i've got one that's all pre-made for me that's awesome
1: yeah yeah we do that too um you gotta have something in the background and then have it appropriate and honestly part of the challenge is especially if it's an rpg or something time tends to fly right
0: Mm-hmm. So if you're like,
1: oh, we got a battle. All right, let's put on some battle music. <laughs> you know, <laughs> three seconds after that, tra- or, or three minutes, you know, the track ends and then you're on to, but you're still battling for about 45 yes. minutes. Your right. <laughs> first yeah.
2: attack has
0: happened. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Your first six seconds of the combat round has ended and you're yeah. three, three or four minutes into the game.
1: Yeah, which, that's a whole other topic. The, the idea of how fast combat should be in an RPG, because I find that an interesting
2: topic. Yeah. Well, one time, yeah. my, um, uh, so I have a friend who's a um, music teacher, and but he does, like, historical uh, instruments. Uh, well, I don't think that's his specialty, but, but he's into historical instruments. And he has a, an actual hurdy-gurdy. I don't know if oh, like, wow. He heard a hurdy-gurdy. It, it, it sounds very medieval, and you yes. like you're in a, a market square, if you hear it. Um, and he was a bard in a in a D and D campaign and like one session he brought in his character, of course, had a magical hurdy gurdy that could like devour souls. Um, I like had to give him that because it was awesome. But uh, a <laughs> long story short, it was really cool. One time he, he brought the hurdy gurdy over to our D and D session. He's very That's nice. sweet.
1: That is very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm impressed if my guys bring <laughs> chips.
2: <laughs>
1: <what it> <laughs> I mean, I, I have the benefit of like we, I host at my place. So, mm-hmm. I can imbibe, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and still uh, play the game without having to worry about driving home.
2: That's awesome. So that's a
1: bonus. But then I also really kind of have to provide chips, et cetera, because yeah, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: just part of it, man. Yeah. Uh, Jason, do you have a do you have a
2: pick? Um, I have something that's uh I'd like to talk about that's uh pretty cool. Um, it's a little esoteric, I guess. Uh, okay. The um third edition of a uh, Warhammer fantasy roleplay mm-hmm. uh published by uh Fantasy Flight Games um like it's no longer being published it's it, they say it's complete and uh license has moved on to another company and uh, I'm not sure who's doing the fourth edition of Warhammer fantasy roleplay but the third edition is um it's very uh um you know it's, uh you either love it and it's a completely you know unique experience or you know you, you were just so happy for them to move on to something else um, and mm. we're. I've, I've been playing a campaign. We've only had three sessions with um, some uh, friends, and um, it's a really cool game. And and it's pretty. And the, and the material. Uh, uh, it the material is pretty cheap. You can get on eBay because it's it's no longer in print. Mm. You know, and I I think it has a lot of adherence, but really cool mechanics. And of course, I love like the setting yeah. you know, Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah.
1: yeah, Dean, have you played that one?
2: I have not. No. No, I never
1: heard... got into it.
0: I don't know why. I never got into Warhammer.
1: Um, I did so a little bit. 40K um, yeah. when I was like a teenager. And then I kind of uh, fell back into it a bit. I mean, Warhammer uh, Games Workshop make beautiful miniatures, no question. Mm-hmm. And their lore is obviously beloved. Um, yeah. But I will say, the I've, I have no experience with uh, Warhammer fantasy role playing. But I, a lot of people have told me it's a really wicked system.
2: Mm-hmm um I've heard the same
1: yeah and I've not really looked into what makes it that way but
0: I have to back up a little bit I did play Warhammer 40k a little bit at conventions and I thought man this would be great and then I realized that there was no way I was going to have enough time or money to keep up with the people that I was playing with and I was going to be playing gray I was not about to paint (laughs) everything and I know they say we won't judge you but they judge you
2: oh I judge you
1: I don't want to play People with it's their alert. gray bullshit, sorry.
2: They have this stuff called contrast paints now. I yeah. won't go down the rabbit hole of miniature painting, but there are, you know, once again, there's a bunch of um, uh, elitists who will say, don't use contrast paints, it's, it's cheating. Yeah. Um, but Perfect. contrast painting, like, it allows you to do fine detail just through the texture of the paint. Like, it will um, seep into cracks and dry in a certain way that you can yeah. do some of these really amazing effects with little skill. Um, so... Yeah, but there's I, a way in if you if you're not a miniature painter.
1: Exactly. I can. <laughs> Here's my elitist take. I would never use contrast paints, but that's only because I'm past the stage where they would be helpful to me. Mm-hmm. However, they are awesome for. They seem to be awesome for introductory painters because if you just follow step by steps, you're gonna have decent looking minis, mm-hmm. and. As a player who would be at a table with amateur miniature painters, I like that contrast paints exist because it's all just going to look a little better. And guys, if you're listening, paint your bases. Paint the goddamn bases and texture them, please. Don't leave them bare or half painted. it, It subverts the whole thing.
2: Now I'm feeling attacked because I never.
0: <laughs> I'm with you, too. I'm with you, too. I don't. I paint the bases, but I do not texture them.
1: No, you don't get um, to just make I them do- make them a uniform color or something. Yes. Like you know, I- my, my Conan board game. I only do. I just do black. Okay. Anything else that is because I have a weird thing in my head where it's like they're the board game. They're all just going to be black because like the boards are constantly changing. But my other more. Um, I don't know. Different minis I go through, depending on what it is, I'll put a little extra effort in there.
2: I'm, I'm always excited to have finished uh, finish a mini to like move on to the next one. And yeah. I'm like, and I was, I was lie to myself and say that I will return uh, and, and, and base all of my, my minis, but I, I honestly, I haven't done that to a lot of them.
1: So I think the life hack that I would recommend for that, anytime you do a base coat or a, sorry, a, a primer, right? Mm-hmm. You prime them before you prime them. Put that PVA glue on the base, dip them in your sandy pot, then prime them, and then the texture's already there. It's so easy, right? It's such an easy step, and then you can just go through dry brush, dry brush maybe pop some contrast paints in there, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it'll, you'll feel good about it.
2: Filed yep. away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I'm glad I got my elitist moment uh, out of the way. Um, Okay, so is it me? Am I
0: Yes, it is you. It?
1: Okay, so I'm in a, a bit of a weird spot where life's been crazy and I um I don't know, I've been uh, off kilter slightly, but I haven't been reading as much. Um but I'm like really hungering to get back to it. So the book uh, I put on my desk is Carl Edward Wagner's um Bran McMoran story and for the love of God can I remember the title right now not for the Witch of the Mists that is um the David Smith one uh come on Carney you can help me with this one (laughs) it's uh
2: oh Legion
1: Legion of okay well it's Carl Edward Wagner's Bran McMoran story this is how excited Mm -hmm. I am to read it I don't even remember the title uh (laughs) Anyways, I'm excited about this, because Carl Edward Wagner, great writer, precursor to Grimdark, big guy in the sword and sorcery realm, viciously out of print, it seems. Um, Legion of the... Damn from man. the Shadows. Thank you. Legion from the Shadows, right? Good.
2: I think it's just from the Shadows. I'm not sure. I don't know.
1: Yeah. In any case, what they're referring to in it is uh, the Serpent Men. So he has basically taken the Serpent Men from call and you know they're slimy buggers so they've managed to stay alive behind the scenes um and so they will be a threat to brad mcmorn and i'm really pumped about this one because i have a love-hate relationship with pastiche actually i don't really have a hate relationship i just i know some of it's some of it's just garbage and some of it's mediocre and some of it's great and uh Wagner's Road of Kings Conan story Was pretty good um, And Wagner's just a good He's a solid pulp writer Even though he didn't write in the pulps But that's a whole other story um, So I'm I'm Excited to tackle this and like I have A real soft spot for brand McMorn. Like I I think Worms of the Earth I've said it before Is probably my favorite of the Howard stories For a variety of reasons oh, wow. Yeah Yeah um, I think I I just love the blend of horror and heroic fantasy Mm -hmm. like that is just so my jam where those two points meet. Um, and you know, most sword and sorcery stories have some kind of element there. Um, but that story in particular is bleak. It's brutal. It's, uh, so anyways, I'm excited to see Carl Everett Wagner's take on that because he, his sword and sorcery is decidedly dark. Um, and I want to see him playing in that sandbox. So that's what's on my table. I've read about the first chapter. Um, I've been exhausted lately. So mm-hmm. I tend to just kind of fall asleep. But I'm excited to crack into it.
2: Man, wor- Worms of the Earth is such a brutal story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it starts
1: with slamming the nails into that guy's hands. Yeah. And Bran kind of in the background brooding about it, you know, mm-hmm. in disguise. Anyways, I lot- want to... Yeah, I actually want to do a show on that story just because I think it's, well, I'm just selfish and I like it a lot, so I want to do yeah. a show on it.
0: We were talking about that, and it kind of inspired me to pick up the book and read it again. But,
1: um... Yeah, it's not too long, and it's it's a nice, it's, it's a lean story, gets to the point, has a good arc. Mm-hmm. I mean, and you'll notice, too, There's a few um, there's a few scenes that were kind of picked up and placed mm-hmm. elsewhere, like... Conan the Barbarian, eighty two, I think, uh, stole a scene—not stole, but um, was inspired by the the witch scene. Anyways, Mm -hmm. oh
2: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There's a price, barbarian. Mm
2: And then, uh, (laughs) I I do believe that was like my first uh, sex scene um, ever to uh, as a as a young kid, like that I was allowed to see. Yeah,
1: that might might be me too. Yeah.
2: I was I was introduced to that movie at a, at a very young age and I remember being like what's going on
1: Yeah yeah <laughs> so so was I and <laughs> I remember like I favored Conan the Destroyer more when I was younger um probably cuz it's just an easier movie to digest as a young kid but also it didn't have those awkward parts where you're like Mm-mm. <laughs> Yeah So let's move on with this show um first uh we do have a topic today Um, and we're going to talk about something we've talked about on this show before. Um, we're going to look at sword and sorcery, heroic fantasy in the context of gaming. We're going to look at it like right now, and we're going to look back, but we're also going to look at what's coming and we're just going to kind of, uh, freewheel through that. But before we do, um, I wanted to bring someone else in today. And I thought of Jason here because, a I know he's into video games and gaming in general mm-hmm. which really we talked about last time how um you know there's a there's a good overlap of people who game and like this sort of fiction
2: mm-hmm.
1: um but also he's just he's a guy who's uh prevalent um in a lot of the stuff that's happening currently in sns um and I want you to just can you just take a moment tell us about perhaps um, your approach and ethos for Whetstone, Savage Scrolls, whatever, I, and and I want to point out to Jason and uh, his uh, partner. Sorry, what's her name?
2: Uh, Nicole Imohines.
1: Right, and mm-hmm. so those two are kind of in. You're in charge of the Dark Man as well, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Which is a kind of scholarly journal for Robert E. Howard things. But we're going to talk about that separate because uh, I think there's a lot we can cover in that category. But I wanted to make sure everyone knew um, what was going on with that. Mm-hmm. So, Jason, Whetstone seems to be um, a pretty big hit um, for the for the indie sword and sorcery scene. So, how's it going? What was the what was the rationale for starting that?
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, I. Uh, teach creative writing. Um when I first started doing creative writing, uh, I I I wrote, you know, uh literary fiction. And uh you know when you submit stories uh to literary magazine, uh to literary fiction magazines, like academically associated literary magazines, they don't pay you at all. Mm. And so it's you're just submitting for publication. Um but what's interesting in genre, um that's not the expectation. Like there's this, you know, uh history of people being <laughs> screwed over you know for you know giving their fiction away and people profiting off of it and mm. so you have uh things like the um sfwa um standard rates and stuff um which are really you know I, I think they're important um yeah which what are they now 8 cents 8 cents yeah 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 but um the the, the problem uh with uh you know it, that's really cool if you're a working writer but if you're you know an amateur writer trying to get started uh it's 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 really hard um to get somebody to spend money on you you know if yeah. you, you don't have a right you know people have limited in, in income and so they they want to uh spend it you know um on somebody who you know could um you know they they're not taking a chance if you will i don't know if that's mm. their rationale but 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 I know if you look at the numbers of like submissions versus acceptances at of like mainstream you know genre magazines like it's it's pretty demoralizing if you're a you're an amateur right oh yeah. So the idea was to, um, I guess, you know, um, to try to take something in the literary fiction world, i.e., a magazine that you um, submit your work to to uh, showcase your work. Right? It's not about making money; it's about kind of putting your name out there. Like, mm-hmm. take take that part of that world and, and bring it into genre in a in a in a certain way. And um, I so that that was my rationale behind a uh, whetstone, and I wanted to label it uh amateur by the way i don't think amateur is necessarily unskilled Mm -hmm. Um, it means just you're doing it for the love of it um but um yeah that's uh the idea was to provide a space for maybe uh someone who um you know would see that those um submissions versus acceptance rates to a a professional or semi-professional magazine and um you know, they, they they would never try to write because you know why would I try? Nobody's going to read this, you know, or I'll just yeah. get an objection. So.
1: Yeah, that's I mean, and that's a everyone has to have a starting point, and I think mm-hmm. um, you have to. F- it's so important to feel some success, right? And you mm-hmm. provide a token payment, correct?
2: We do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a, I mean, ten dollar
1: Yeah, and and <laughs> it's funny. It's like. If I ever, you know, the times where I've gotten um, payments like that from publications, I give it back because it's not, I don't need it, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's an important gesture, right? And I and I, I tell anyone who's trying out, it's like, you've got to feel success. If If anyone has paid anything for your work, then that is a feather in your cap. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a feather in your cap if anyone at all has decided to take your thing and print it. Mm -hmm. Right. But man, it is really tough starting out, not having success or just feeling like I feel like every writer craves some kind of validation. Mm -hmm. Right. They need do they like what I'm doing or do they like my work? Is it being received well? And I don't know. I think that's a really rad approach. And also uh, what I think is interesting is your (laughs) your punishing word count. Twenty five hundred, right? Yes. <laughs> like that is tough, man. That is lean storytelling, and I think that creates a, a great challenge for people too.
2: Yeah. I, I,
0: so where can you find this whetstone? It's um, time to hawk your stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's at um uh, uh dot, blogspot, uh, dot com. and it's all um you know uh PDFs um mm-hmm. you, can, you can download it um and um oh if you see ads in there by the way um we don't. Uh, get money for ads we just we do that if, if you're a, a you know an indie publisher out there and you want to put in an advertisement and let's know we'll we'll do it because it's it's supposed to be a um <laughs> i was using this term fan service over and yeah. over again like yeah, uh, yeah. And, and people are like i don't think you realize what that, what, that means so well, what is uh, that from uh the princess bride i don't think he yeah 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 knows yeah. what that word really <laughs> you keep means. using
1: that word you <laughs> yes. don't think it means like what you, you think it what means you think it means so yeah, yeah.
2: uh it was supposed to serve like I, I really i don't hope i don't come off like mr rogers here but it really was supposed to like serve the community you know so like mm. if you're an indie um press like rogues blade has a you know they they did an advertisement for um the uh uh the anthology that you were just in the, um uh matt the um uh, robert e howard changed my life right mm. they have an ad in whetstone three and um you know we just we didn't you know charge for that and we do get a, a fair amount of downloads i think whetstone three last time i checked was at like 1500 um downloads which
1: that's yeah that's impressive i mean wow. i honestly feel like a lot of similar anthologies aren't making that in sales right yeah,
2: yeah. so
1: i i think you're on to something with that
2: well i i also wonder how many people click on the pdf and then they they don't actually read it but well there's yeah
1: there's <laughs> there's always that uh yeah. and there's the whetstone discord too right um I kind of uh, pop in and out of that to see what's going on. It seems like um, it's a really supportive community. Um, People are willing to read and edit, give feedback. It's polite, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a, I don't know. It's an important thing. And it's, it's funny too. I feel like we're all these, we're all adults, right? Some of us are pushing middle age and we're all like, yeah, we're just kind of starting out in some ways. And it's like, (laughs) "Eh, whatever, man. It's, it's a good scene.
2: Well, uh, I forget, um, I, not the name drop, but um, Howard Andrew Jones. Um, yeah. I, I was uh, talking to him and he was, he said something that I thought was really insightful, um, how like he needed to um, uh, become a certain age before he could really start writing good fiction because he needed to have the, the experience, the life experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I, I, I think, um, you know, I teach, uh, <laughs> you want to hear something funny. I teach a creative nonfiction class at CNU. Like memoir writing class, you yeah. like have to do a personal memoir essay, and I have like eighteen, nineteen, nineteen-year-old students in there, yeah. and yeah. you could imagine, like, you know, that <laughs> the idea that you need to have experience where you can um, have a certain depth to your writing. Like, no offense to my um, eighteen-year-old, nineteen-year-old students writing their memoir essays, but um, yes, that will that will teach that lesson very quickly.
1: Yeah, yeah, I hear you. There's, I've had I've had other teachers because I teach middle school. And they're like, "Oh yeah, well you should get them to do a personal memoir." And I'm like, "They're in grade eight. <laughs> like,
2: <That's hilarious. laughs>
1: not only do I not want to read that, they don't want to write that."
2: <laughs> You'll get 20 essays about a breakup or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: And I mean, I don't know. I think that's, uh, I think that's that's a good point too. That I mean, Howard's very wise. Um, and every time I listen to him, I'm like, "Shoot, that's a great point," and I kind of etched into my head. And he's also very. Like, he's sort of coach-like, I suppose, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. Um, and one other thing, uh, can you speak to what happened with Savage Scrolls? Because honestly, I only heard through the grapevine what happened there, but that was, or, I don't even know if you want right. to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's originally, those stories were slated for something else that fell apart.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah was- so... It was a mess. Um it's really sad too because uh Hulk Hero Press was going to publish um Flashing Swords, which is a, a famous uh sword and sorcery anthology series was edited yeah. by Lynn, Lynn Carter and uh um uh Robert Robert M. Price uh was gonna be the editor. And he's a I actually met Robert n Price and he he was a gentleman and he was nice to me and he asked me questions and I'm just nobody and stuff. I, I was at the Necronomicon. He was getting this like lifetime award. So I don't have, I, personally, it's, it's hard for me to like, you know, say anything negative about him, but he wrote this introduction to um, Flashing Swords, number no. six, the Pulp Hero Press was, was going to publish. And it was just really controversial, really uh, like a, basically a kind of like screed. Um I, I won't say anymore, but um, but it, it, it bothered a lot of the writers um, because they hadn't seen the introduction. So they started pulling their, work from the even though it was already published well i was just um i was counting down the days to get my flashing swords number six and then when i heard that this was happening it really pissed me off because i don't care about the like like what was going on like why did you have to mess up this really important um piece of sword and sorcery history and um anyhow that that how, how did i get involved um uh I don't know if I should mention his name, but, 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 but somebody working on the, somebody who had a story in Flashing Swords, uh, s- suggested that I should, um, edit, uh, something new. And I got an email from Bob McClain and he said, would you, would you be willing to think? So about half of the stories from Flashing Swords 6, uh, transferred over to Savage Scrolls. And then, uh, the other half, um, I don't know if they've been republished or, or not, but, but yeah, we, Savage Scrolls is like the, um, spiritual, um, I don't know if it's, it's fair to say because it's, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a different project. Like we, we, um, we talked about how it, it should go in a different, it's somewhat of a different direction than uh, the, the previous anthology, but um, yeah, it's, it's, that's the history. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, like you, I was excited for um, a return to F- flashing blades. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I have a few of those, I think, but, I read Link Carter's other he did years best fantasy as well and those were those were awesome collections too. Yeah. And yeah, I I read I read that uh that forward or the intro or whatever yeah. it was. And I, again, it's we were talking about this slightly before the show started. It's just in some ways it's speaking to the times of like certain people feeling as though you've got to say your piece and you're weighing in on these issues and it's like yeah. It, because there's, I don't know if it's a social media thing or what it is, but it's like everyone wants to say their piece, right? You're passionate about these things and we don't always think about whether it's the time or the place, Yeah. right? Even I do it on this show. I know there's times where I alienate certain fans. I'm sure of it because of my hot takes on things or, you know, just my worldview, but I don't know. I feel like in some ways we kind of have to do it because you got to say how you feel, but with something like that, it's like, if that's not representative of the work and it's not even your work necessarily, sure you're editing it, but um, you've got all these other people to think about who are being represented by it. And that's, I think that was the real issue with that, but I'm happy to hear that a lot of those stories were recovered and that's Mm -hmm. one I plan to pick up.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it it was um uh you know, if you're a because uh you I guess I'll use some really uh reductive terms here. If you're a really conservative editor and you write in your introduction really conservative uh, polemic and you say, And here are these stories, look at how they're supporting my my view. And then mm. you have like writers who are really liberal, right? And and they don't want their um I mean, once again, I don't know if they would describe themselves in this way, but like, if you don't identify with that political view, it feels like your work is being put in the service of, of something you don't believe in. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's, it, it was, it was, um um it was a mess. And yeah. It,
1: it, it's, it, I think it's straight up unethical. Yeah.
2: yeah. The, I mean, you know, it was a mess and it was a tragedy. Cause it was, it really is like if you're a sword and sorcery nerd, like it's, it's one of the, you know, the, um the, the anthology series, like if you read Brian Murphy's history of sword and sorcery, um, uh, Flame and Crimson. You know, he mm. he spends a lot of time talking about flashing swords, and it was going to continue. H- how symbolic was that that we were going to get yeah. this anthology? Uh, it was, it was going to be alive, and it, it it died because of the uh, um, you know the crazy uh, state of of discourse right now, political discourse. Right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, we're not going to solve that, obviously, but uh, <laughs> wish we could. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's interesting. You say that that it is sort of this uh symbolic thing right but again i will say this on this show i feel like we're in a really awesome spot for uh sword and sorcery i mean sometimes i disagree with the driving ethos of some fragments of the community but whatever we're we're all we all dig similar things about the tales and we apply them to our lives in different ways so I think that just with all these publications, Whetstone included, um, I just, I feel like we're doing good here and there's momentum and you've got grassroots efforts. And whether it goes mainstream, I don't think it really matters. It's just the fact is it's alive and well and it's got a strong heartbeat, I think.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So should we start this show?
0: Seems like a good time. <laughs> okay.
1: Dean, you want to take us in or what?
0: Well, I think uh, our goal was to kind of uh, explore in some depth some of the games that are available to us, both in RPG and board gaming and video gaming that fit into the sword and sorcery genre. Um, I personally am, as I've said in the last show, I'm more of a board gamer than I am a video gamer. So Mm -hmm. that's where my strength is at. And that's where I did most of my prep and research on. Um, but I think there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's stuff that's been around for a while that maybe people don't know about. And then there's also some really great obscure stuff that is currently being made mm-hmm. that people may not know about. And then, of course, there's, um, which we'll probably get into, stuff that's being um, reissued, if we can call it that, okay, or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, uh, second editions. Yeah. Um, and I'll throw the gauntlet down. I'll throw the gauntlet down right now, because let's start with it, you know. Uh, Probably one of the most popular board games out there, and a lot of people claim it to be one of the best uh, sword and sorcery board games, and that is HeroQuest. Yes,
1: HeroQuest. Okay, now,
0: HeroQuest, I did not pick it up when it was available back in... 92, I think it
1: was, or 91. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I had it when I was a young man.
0: Yeah. So anyhow, I I don't know why I passed it over. Um, I think it was maybe me thinking it was oh that's D and D for children. (laughs) (laughs) The Um, the snob approach, Dean. The snob approach. And so I never really played it. But then I played it at conventions, and I'm like beating myself up over the fact that, oh my gosh, I could have had this game, you know, years ago. And I'm the type of guy that keeps my games and my books and everything else in pristine condition. I don't loan out games. I don't loan out books. I don't (laughs) loan out anything. Because nobody's going to keep it in the condition I have. So I would have had this Hero Quest game in mint condition, probably with a few scuffs and bumps and such.
2: You you would have had a
1: barbarian or, no, you would have had an elf with a broken sword. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) That elf elf sword... And the top of the Wizards uh, staff, that snapped off easily, too. Anyways, continue.
2: And the um, candlesticks on the the Wizards. uh, Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, thing. But I think I would have had a really nice copy of it.
0: So Mm. now Hasbro has it again, and Mm. they are reissuing it. And it had a Kickstarter that went like that. I mean, Mm. it it fulfilled very quickly. And Mm. it's not changing anything. It's not changing the way the game plays. It's not changing. It is changing the molds of the, um, of the, the actual minis. minis, but it's not truly doing anything to the game that's going to make it any different than what it was in the 1990s. But for the cost that I could get Hero Quest right now, an original yeah. copy, I can get a brand new copy with all of the expansions that ever came out in the past. Yeah. And that's why I picked it up.
1: And I think that's a good argument for getting that game is if you didn't already
0: have it. Right. Right. You, I think, have it, correct?
1: Well, interestingly, I
0: had it back in the day.
1: I got it when it first came out and I used to love setting it up and then going like um, an eye level view, like a miniature level view, looking through all the doorways and the things Mm -hmm. set up. (laughs) I don't know why that's a memory I had of that um so yeah i cherished it back in the day we played a lot my brothers and i um and then i don't know what happened i don't know if i sold it at a flea market or what i did and then i was seeking a copy of it for a while and a friend of mine i did some work with he had like (laughs) his hobby at a certain point in his life was finding uh secondhand copies of hero quest and storing them in his closet
2: that's hilarious. So, he, yeah.
1: so he basically gave me a deluxe copy essentially with hero quest um, and just that's a it. bunch of, a bunch of extras, like essentially uh, uh, leftovers from other sets. So it's like, mm-hmm. I still have it in the basement.
0: Your friend had a very interesting retirement
1: plan. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he <laughs> gave it. I didn't even buy it. He was just like, yeah, man, you can have it. I was like, that's yeah. awesome. I've never, I've not played it since sadly. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of because I don't, this is where <laughs> I don't even want to say this because Dean's going to be like, whatever, I bought it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm like, I don't know if that a game is going to age particularly well.
0: Well, as someone who has, and I'll give you full credit, you know, some games don't age well, but I have mm. played it as recently as a year ago. Yeah. And if, again, it's much like cooking, you got to have all the right ingredients but at a game table, sometimes you got to have the right GM, the right players, and the mix has to be just perfect. And yep. I have had a blast each time I have played it. And yeah. so I think with my group, I can see it coming to the table a good two or three. And when I say two or three times a year, you have to understand I game every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> so.
1: yeah. No, I get you, man. If Hey, listen, if I buy a game for 150 bucks and I play it two or three times a year, I'm like, Eh, good value yeah <laughs>
0: That's That's this is a
1: kind of mm-hmm. uh, nerdy si- yeah. situation i live in but uh,
0: i have I, to justify my cost somehow because otherwise my wife, wife will be like why are you spending all this money
1: <laughs> you're not even playing it dean
2: in a, But know i am but i am i i actually um talk about a uh, hero quest in west stone one uh, introduction like there's the um uh, the cover art Les edwards cover art like that yeah. probably like there's a really good chance and i'm not being hyperbolic here but that got me into sword and sorcery because i got that yeah. game in 1992 i was nine years old my um grandmother um she bought it for me and i remember just like gazing at the cover and just being like completely enthralled and um and she was like do you know who that is and i'm like no and she said that's conan the barbarian yeah. of course, she was wrong. Yeah, yeah. My my grandmother was um. She was a big Stephen King reader. She had stacks wow. and stacks of all the signed copies of Stephen King. But anyhow, um, yeah. Um, I I still have two copies of Piranha. Um, That's I awesome. I've played it forever. But, and you
0: know, those are going on the market for like anywhere if they're in good condition, anywhere from one hundred and fifty to like three
2: hundred dollars. Yeah, I might only have one after this uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any of the expansions. I know the expansions are ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's
0: like I said. That's why I kickstarted it because I can get it all for one money, and I don't have to search for anything.
1: Getting those expansions would make it worth it. Mm -hmm. I had one of them. It was like the something of the witch queen or quick witch king.
2: Revenge of the witch witch queen.
1: Return of the witch king. I think that sounds right. Um, It didn't barbarians
2: and a gladiator. He's like in a gladiator world.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's another awesome Liz Edwards painting. I think. And he's just he's chained to the floor. Yeah, you know all the dudes are around, and like oh, you can't you can't beat a good warrior chained to the floor. <laughs> while well, danger approaches. You know those yeah. are those are the good ones.
2: Yeah. Like well, skeleton sorcerer looks on. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But I would also say that right up
0: there, and this is where I'm. I think Matt needs to step in because we're all wanting to know, at least those people who have the game, the second best sword and sorcery game out there has got to be, hands down, without a doubt, I will I'll fight you on this. Cone in the Board Game by Monolith.
1: You won't, you won't have to fight me. I will agree <laughs> with you.
0: <laughs> um, I just think it is, for those people who haven't played it, uh, if you get an opportunity, it is definitely a different type of game. It's a, it's, I like to explain it to my friends. It's a resource management game in, mm-hmm. at its core. I mean it really is. Yeah,
1: it's all about them yeah. gems, baby. It's That's all right. about them gems.
0: But if you are into the genre yeah. and you read the the you know the description or the you know the intro and stuff like that, and you have a GM that tries to throw a little action uh in terms of, you know, description of the battle and such as he's, you know, doing it as the overlord, it can turn it into not a role-playing game. I don't want to go that far, but man, it can really add a lot of flavor to that game. So yeah. it's, it can be really epic. And I know that we just had a, a big Kickstarter and it was successful. And I want to know if there's anybody in this podcast who has any insight information on
1: progress. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all of it really. Um. I will just say Conan is a very uh, it's an interesting game for a variety of reasons, so and it it actually has not to a fault of itself but there's like a there's an identity crisis going on with it because in some ways people view it as you were saying almost like the overlord is the g m right right mm-hmm. and i I get why right but it's it's a competitive game, ultimately. Well, there's the solo mode thing that um, I worked on, but put that aside for a second. Mm-hmm. The, the actual adventure mode game, where it's uh, one versus many asymmetrical design, it's a competitive game, but because of the asymmetry, that becomes difficult to balance. So the scenarios with that system, you kind of have to have it you have to have the victory conditions pretty narrow, as far mm-hmm. as like who needs to do what, but you want to make there to be various paths to victory for both of these sides. In short, what I'm saying is those scenarios are really difficult to do well, mm-hmm. and I would say um, that. Ultimately, what you get is sometimes you will have scenarios that are slightly more favorable to the heroes or slightly more favorable to the overlord. But ultimately, what you get is a game that, as you say, feels so sword and sorcery, right? Yeah. You get those moments where the you, you hold those gems, you save them up, you realize I have just enough to pull off this move where I can throw this axe, forgot I could do that, finish the dude off, mm-hmm. win the scenario. You don't get the dice roll, you're gonna fail. Sometimes turn up people turn up their nose at the random aspect of dice rolling, but for me, that's part of it, man. That's like, yep, that's the yeah. gamble.
2: Yeah, Jason, have you played the game? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, I played it a couple of days ago. We we played the first scenario, the one with the um Jebel yeah. Sag. Uh, yeah. And the clutches yeah, of that's, the fixed. St- there yeah. you go, the Pix Village yeah. one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Um, Fred Henry designed that one like it's tight as a drum. It's probably it's the best of the scenarios that I've played, Um, and I I haven't talked to him about this, but I suspect he almost used that scenario to design the whole game.
2: That's interesting.
1: But it's I don't I don't know that to be true, but I feel like that was his his precursor because it works so damn well. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's such an awesome sandbox of opportunity for designers. It just you can't pump those scenarios out they require right. a lot of testing and that's that's sort
0: of the thing we've been doing now man to uh to your uh comment about using the overlord as a gm that's how i teach the game but yeah. then once i've taught my players i step aside and i actually act as an an overseer for the yeah. game so yeah, yeah. that way i can kind of like help the overlord player you know if they feel a little put upon or outnumbered mm-hmm kind of you know think of different ways to uh you know to maybe get to that path of victory
1: yeah because uh, i've seen that complaint a few times against the game where they're like oh the overlord can't win it's like you yes, can't they, win
0: yes <laughs> it's Or like, as you say get good
1: yeah it is it is sort of a <laughs> get good moment now i'm not saying there aren't some scenarios where like it definitely favors a side or another and there could even be breaks in certain things because these things there's so many moving parts that those those kind of things can happen but Ultimately, my experience if the Overlord is a strong player. Um, I think that's what it comes down to: is the Overlord needs to be a good player to win.
2: Mm-hmm. Whereas
1: heroes, that's the other part of the design process of stuff. You've got to consider if this is a uh, three or four hero scenario. You might have three or four different minds on that team strategizing. So you don't want to make the path to victory for the heroes to be razor thin. Because then they would have to it would have to be orchestrated so clearly mm-hmm. right so precisely, so it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a fun game, but you want to know about things that are happening, do you?
0: Yeah, just give us a quick synopsis so that we, we whet our appetite
1: well, here's the status report um it's crazy actually there's so much Conan content done slash in progress that hasn't gotten to the hands of people to play it that it's kind of staggering to me. So Conan the Conqueror is finished production. It's been finished production. We've got this COVID backlog of ships, right? So Conqueror is ready to sail as soon as we secure a boat. Um, and, you know, that will happen. It'll happen in the near future. It's just we don't have a date yet. So once Conqueror goes out, um, I'm really excited to see people's impressions. You know, how much do they like the more solo co-op campaign play uh, as opposed to the adventure mode. I think we struck a good balance on those. Um, And that will help inform us for what we're doing in the future. Mm -hmm. Those who've been paying attention know that the future will involve red nails. Um, Mm -hmm. Howard's arguably most blood soaked story. Um,
2: That's my favorite. yeah
1: is it yeah red nails is crazy it's awesome and it's very cinematic Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um so what form red nails will take is still sort of up in the air right like is it going to be an expansion to this game that's technically out of print at the moment is it going to be a new core game that people can buy uh, and jump into it is it going to be a slight version two of conan the board game where we reassess sort of the things that work really well, lean into those and lean away from the things that maybe had some problems. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We don't know. All of that is under discussion. Um, If I can put a
0: vote in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, A good friend of mine named Jimmy, uh, he and I have played that. And during the COVID year, uh, we did a lot of online, it was kind of a, a jury rigged online Cooperative session Mm. with the source book. Oh, yeah. And it was so much fun. It was just he and I. And it was so much fun. And I love the cooperative aspect of it. Yeah. Um, I really do love that part. I think that the, you know, the asymmetrical one versus many is also very good. That plays to me better at a convention because that's what I go to a lot of gaming conventions and you can introduce people. It's not a hard game to teach or learn once no. you get the mechanics down, but yeah. to really get into the spirit of the game and then into that, you know, really get into the meat of it. I mm. think cooperative is where it's at.
1: Well, it's, and the market is kind of there, right? Mm-hmm. So I think regardless, um, we're gonna, we're gonna play to both of those, right? Right. Um, I, Because first of all, that game is classic for a reason. And it's because of the adventure mode and the mechanics that Fred Henry came up with. Right. So we would never do away with that. Um, But I do suspect there's going to be more desire for more solo co-op. At least people seem to want it. Um, Yeah, go ahead, Jason. I'm
2: like uh, chomping at the bit because I love that story. And um, I was like, can I brainstorm some some, uh, ideas? About how I think a red nails board game should be. Yeah, you know? of course. Yeah, uh, and you, these are free ideas. You, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> not not copyrighted. Like, yeah, what if, if there were like two overseers? You know, like the um, the two factions fighting each other is like the 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 central, um, you know, it's the it's the plot, right? And then um, what's interesting in that story is that in all the stories that the Conan stories that you read, like he's a death dealer, like he's he's defined by how deadly he is. But if you read that story closely, Conan and Valeria um, are, they're like, they're heroes because they don't participate in the violence. They kind of like step back a little. It's really weird if you look closely, like he's trying to, you know, he basically like throws Valeria a a bandage and tells her to, you know, uh, fix her leg. Um, Yeah. The the, the, the fact that these two factions are like, they like dehumanize themselves over hating each other too much. It's a really, it's a surprising story. Um, I, I don't know if that could be, uh, but also I like the idea that like there, if there were actual like a, like a some nails that you could actually like nail into the. <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah.
1: I had thought about that. So you brought up a bunch of things there. <laughs> yeah. One, I think that like, like you said, that story really showcases Howard's sort of thoughts on barbarism versus civilization or his fantasy version of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're right. Yeah. Conan and Valeria are almost Observers of of all of this crazy stuff that's happening, and you mm-hmm. see what has happened after this civilization has civilized. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's it's leaned into that far too much, and it's basically poisoned them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I I think that's a good observation. And what I had been thinking at a point was because um, there's a versus mode for the Batman game, and the mm-hmm. Batman game runs on pretty much the same engine as Conan, um, a little more complex. But that would have been a great opportunity to have, yeah, two overlord ber- uh, boards make it a versus game, one faction versus the other. So for that, I do have I have thoughts about what we can do with that. Uh, what was the other thing you had said that made me think? Oh, the uh, the physical red nails post. I would yeah. love the idea of that. Like, if you had a two-player campaign almost. Yeah. Right. And each match you're you're popping in more red nails and whoever gets more at the end, like yeah. That's... One
2: actually would have little heads, the other one would have
1: <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that would be awesome. But uh the Can truth you give is... us
0: can you give us an update or not an update, a guess on when you think a boat will be secured and start sailing this way?
1: I wish I could, but mm. I honestly it's just straight up we're just waiting. Okay. And we've been waiting. And a lot of people are a lot of places are in the same situation. Like a lot of Kickstarters, I don't know about a lot, but I've seen some are actually saying like, yo, we need more money because the truth is, yeah. I mean, the truth is things have changed and the boats are way more expensive and companies are going to lose a bunch of money off it. Right. There's Mm -hmm. just, there's no way around it, but you got to just decide what you want to say to your fans. Um, And maybe some businesses are smaller and like, it is a death knell if they, they don't ask right so i don't know i'm not going to speak for that but um it will be coming and uh, i can't friggin wait because it's been forever and Mm -hmm. i had a you know i had a really rare opportunity where i could actually consider what do i want to put in this like what is this expansion because in some ways we cannibalized aspects from the failed beyond the monolith game so i took some of that but then we also we're able to build in new things. And so I'm really happy with what we came up with. I think the Tome of Skelos, which essentially accompanies every uh, Conqueror expansion, I think it's the best book period for, for that game just because of what it offers. It offers scenarios of both kinds, new rules. Um, the campaign is awesome. Anyways, it's killing me. That nobody has played any of this yet. And we haven't gotten any feedback
2: mm-hmm.
1: and especially, and I don't want to talk too, too much about this game, but like in the meantime, since we finished the Tome of Skelos, we finished the Conqueror. It's been in production. We have also finished um, Hither Came Conan, which is a PDF of free online scenarios for the three big expansions. Uh, Stygia, Katai, and Nordheim no one's played those I know they're awesome because we uh, Ken and Dan and I uh each wrote those so no one's had those yet very few people have played the Tower of the Elephant scenario plus we're now working on the Gods of the North which is a reference to the Frost Giant's Daughter as it was uh, a failed publication I think originally Howard tried to sell it that way um And that one is a tie-in with Mythic Battles Ragnarok. So we're essentially taking those elements, uh, Conan-ing them. I combed through tons of Howard text to find all the best Nordic names. um, And we've applied those to the particular miniatures. And that's in progress now. And that's even close to finished. So we've got all this work that we've been doing, that we've been... And we have outside playtesters too. But it's... Kind of sad how much is out, is finished, but no one has played it. So when we think about Red Nails going ahead, I'm kind of like, yeah, I can't wait. But at this point, I want to wait because I want people to play all this other stuff. I want to know, you know, how did you feel about it? What do you want more of? Where is this game, you know, in terms of going forward? So,
2: I, I want an Atali miniature so I could just like grab it and hold it in my hand. <laughs> <And it like laughs> I've got you. away.
1: Yes, you got to buy Nordheim. She's in Nordheim.
0: Okay,
1: it's quite a voluptuous miniature, too.
2: That's awesome.
0: It's also <laughs> a very expensive expansion.
1: Yeah, has it gotten there?
0: Um, I usually see it come across Noble Knight Games, which is kind of a oh yeah, Noble Knight place. yeah, yeah. Um, which is pretty cool because it's really only about an hour and a half for me, so shipping is very. That cheap. must be
1: a massive warehouse, though.
0: Yeah, but it usually is sitting somewhere around the seventy dollar mark.
1: Yeah. And I think it retailed close to that. Well, 70, probably Canadian bucks, Canuck bucks, but, uh, we are monolith. will be opening a web store, um, later this year is the plan. Cool. And those excess uh, copies that we printed, cause we did reprint those, um, mm-hmm. those expansions. So there'll be a, there'll be a good amount of material on there. I think people can snap up if they want. Yeah. So that's what's up with, uh, monolith Conan yeah
2: what, what I what I really like about that board game is how the um tides can turn so quickly oh like yeah you can think you're winning yeah and then like no you're not like you make one wrong move and then you've forgotten something and I feel like yeah. that's very um there are a lot of uh reversals in Howard's fiction so it's very yeah. uh yeah. To the fiction.
1: yeah I mean that goes back to what Dean's saying at the beginning is it it really does capture a sword and sorcery spirit yeah um and i don't know i don't know that that's easy to do but you know frig and i i can say all this too like this game came out before i was involved in it right and now i feel like i'm in a special place of well i've also contributed to it i continue to and it's a goddamn legend so (laughs) yay me for writing a few coattails here
0: there you go and since we're on the conan topic um we might as well hit the other two games that Mm -hmm. are out there Uh, of course there's the uh the 2d20 rpg which Mm -hmm. sadly i have not had a chance to play i've read the kickstarter or not the kickstarter the quick start rules Mm um wasn't as clear as i was hoping it to be and i think that's maybe because my brain has just uh, molded itself to D &D, and then another rpg game system just doesn't make sense to me or i'm not yeah understanding it
1: have you um, played that one at all,
0: Jason?
2: Um, no, um, I I, um, I have it. I have a lot of uh, yeah, yeah. games that I. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: Yeah, I have it too, and I've I've tested it. I've played it a few times uh, because I I wrote some of the the material for it. But um, Dean, I will say it plays smoother than it reads.
0: Okay, that's good. That's
1: good. Yeah. That-
2: is that the one with Scott Odin's pastiche in it?
1: Uh, a Conan story. Uh, he he wrote something for that core book, okay. and actually he he also wrote. Um, I think he wrote the Red Pit, which was mm. like he wrote a bunch of flavor text for. Yeah, uh, it, it actually ended up in one of the books, but it was sort of the um, uh, we call it uh, playtest packet.
2: Okay. You can I, tell I just, when
1: you read it. It's good
2: stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember enjoying the um, the mm-hmm. fiction and the art, um, but you know, I, I never intended to run it.
1: Yeah. I can't it's, comment it, on the rules. It is a beefy game. It's crunchy, um, but again, not as crunchy as it reads. And actually, Modiphius has said um, for subsequent products where they use 2D20, that system, um, they have since kind of reorganized how they... Uh, roll out the rules make them more readable more uh, a little more easy to follow because it and, and another thing is the density of that book a lot of it is like when you do character creation there's all kinds of cool steps so if if you're into that thick kind of uh, rpg it's got a lot for you
2: hmm. yeah. oh yeah yeah shadow was is one of my favorite uh, rpgs for that
1: yeah that's <laughs> crunchy spend, too you
2: spend all this time making your character but then yeah, you're too exhausted to play at that point. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, but
2: still, I, uh, <laughs> that that appeals to me.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a solid game. There's no question. Um, and I, I hear it's it's selling well. It's doing really well. Um, and there's new material beyond what was Kickstarter that's coming out.
0: Every time I open up my social media, there's something new from Modiphius related to Conan. Yeah. It seems like yeah. every week there's something new coming out.
1: But yeah, because At this point, I think they've caught up with, um, because it's been a long go for that project, um, but a lot of the books that had previously only been available to backers are now being sold retail, or at least through Modiphius. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. I'm actually doing a tiny bit of writing for the uh, Age of Conan sourcebook, because I had to have my hat trick of (laughs) working on three Conan crossover books um but that book's really cool like if if you played any of that game and you wanted to kind of set it during king conan's rule um and bring in those some of the you know mythos from the game um and some of those cool elements some of the creatures the places the locations to have that kind of skin on there um i think that book will be quite awesome
2: I I loved Age of Conan. I, yeah, uh, me too. Two two thousand and six to two thousand and seven, I believe, that was like my Age of Conan year. Like I was yeah. in the guild, I got the character to level eighty. I read all the novels. Well, I didn't read all the novels. I read a, i read the Um Stygian, no, the Um a Sumerian uh, trilogy. But it was it was really cool. I actually built a gaming computer to play that game. And yeah, yeah, I, I was really <laughs> excited about it.
1: I always had sort of a crappy computer for that game, but just enough to run it. Um, yeah. yeah, ah, it's, it makes me and- sad that like all of all of this, uh, all of these cool Conan people we've met and kind of have come together over the years. It'd be so nice to be able to like all jump into the same game.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah that, would that would be fun. The yeah. soundtrack for that game is amazing. But oh, i st- I still yeah. put it on YouTube, and while well, I'm like painting miniatures and stuff. Like
1: I was listening to it today when I was writing fiction for that book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Newt, Newt Evan Stroop Haugen I think yeah. is his name. I'm probably not pronouncing that properly, but yeah, man, that guy gets it.
0: I, I love that soundtracks for video games are so well done now.
1: Oh, they're like mm. AAA, man. They're yeah, amazing.
0: they're like yeah. cinematic. Yeah. The stuff you would see in theaters and such. Yeah. It's,
1: awesome. it's awesome. Oh, That would have been such a good segue for us to move on to uh, video games, but we're not ready yet, are we?
0: Well, not. I mean, I still got one more <laughs> Conan-related thing. For oh god, Sword Sorcery Games. And this is another RPG. And this comes from I found this. I was looking around and some people really like this. Um this comes from the mind of Dave Dave Zeb Cook, and if I recall, he had something to do with some of the early TSR D&D publications. And in the mid 80s, 1980s, Uh, TSR came up with a Conan RPG game that apparently was very well done and people really dug it, but D and D was kind of their bread and butter. So it kind of like was pushed to the side and didn't really get a whole lot of attention, but apparently it was really well done. I have a couple of modules from it. Um, but this guy, uh, uh, I guess tried to redo it or TSR or whoever owns TSR. Well, it wasn't really TSR. It was the Conan properties. Mm. Pretty much said, no, 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 you aren't doing that. Yeah, yeah. So he basically reskinned this old game and it's called Zephyrs, Z E F R S, which ah, stands yes. for Zeb's fantasy role playing system.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it is straight up the 1980s Conan game with a few tweaks and stuff like that. And it is the full on sword and sorcery world that yeah. you would expect. And I've heard
1: good things about that game, yes. actually
0: yeah I've been exploring it I was like, wow this is really cool and it reminds me of what I remember seeing uh when that game was available in print and it's yeah it's pretty cool and you can okay. find it all just on a simple website it's like uh i don't know forty oh, some the, odd pages
2: the um uh there were there were a d and d modules that uh, had the um had film uh, uh stills from the um the, from the movies, movies. Yeah, yeah are they yeah. different in that game uh they were based on that
0: um i guess um, they were um they were an offshoot of those because yeah. they used was it the
1: extra... was it the same system because i uh,
0: no it I... wasn't quite the same system they used okay. uh, they they kind of adjusted it and i'm not speaking from a lot of authority here uh they did it for the ad and d system and, yeah. and then caught the on well. against
1: darkness was one yes. of them
0: And then there was another one, a second one. I think there's actually even Unchained or Unchained was the first one I think, or Against Darkness. But yeah, Um, and I guess some of the aspects really worked well, and so they kind of came up with their own RPG for the Conan setting. Mm. Um, But then, like I said, it it just didn't get the attention it needed.
2: There's some like shared storyteller elements in those modules. Like I think uh, player characters can insta kill a, a human NPC. Like that you have like two insta kills or something like that. So like that's you, awesome. It really sh- yeah, once again I am this it's been a year since I read those modules. I never played them. But I, I do recall like there was something like that. There was like a mechanic that basically allowed you to push back on the story. So like if yeah. you were like um tied up, you could say, Alright, I spend my hero point and now I'm not tied up Right. you could kind right. Of like yeah, yeah. contradict the beginning. Yeah.
1: Well there was the um the Mongoose Conan D Twenty game, mm-hmm. you had fate points that sort okay. of allowed you to do that shared storytelling too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if that's what you're thinking of, or if both games did it. Because I didn't play the yeah. other one, but I love that element.
2: Yeah, yeah. One I might be cool... mixing them up. So. <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, cool, cool. I, I hear you. <laughs> one of the cool things I remember in those modules was it had the stats for Conan. You know, his yeah. strength, his wisdom, eighteen zero zero. Right, but he was multi-classed out the wazoo. Yeah. I mean, he was like fighter, ranger, rogue. Well, I guess they called him thieves at that time. Um, something else. I mean, he was yeah. like multi-class to the hilt.
1: So yeah, to speak. Which, which is interesting. It's almost like he's a good case for there not being classes at all, you know, mm-hmm. because a guy like that, you got to let him be everyone except a sorcerer.
0: Well, yeah, and then it was it was also based on his age in the in the game. Yeah. Uh the younger one, he was much more of the thief than he was the fighter, and then there was another one where he was a little bit older, he was more the fighter than the thief. Yeah, totally.
1: So, how we're we're getting deep into this recording, aren't we? How long we've we been going?
0: Know, we've been at it for a while. So, um okay. I've kind of, you know, uh monopolized some of the board gaming stuff, but if you guys want to talk about yes. some other stuff, I uh-huh. mean, yeah.
2: I'm having um, a great time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, I
1: there's just a couple of things I almost want to rapid fire mention. Yeah, um, I that's kind of where sh- I was
0: going to go too.
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. uh, again, I I I really part of the show is exposure for things, um, mm-hmm. and I, I I don't know, I, I want people to check things out. Right. So one of them is uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics from Goodman Games, mm-hmm. who also published Tales from the Magician's Skull. Um, really cool company. We've talked about them before and, and sort of their approach to RPGs. They are currently running now. I don't know if this Kickstarter will have ended by the time this episode comes out. I think it's got about five days left on it. Um, likely you'll be able to late pledge or something if that's the case. So if this picks your interest, um, they have the rights to produce an RPG, based on the worlds of jack vance's dying earth mm. which i think is super rad and actually goodman games is very interesting in that way too right because for um tales from the Magician's skull they're actually they have the rights to do new uh fafford and Graham mouser oh. which yeah, is like that's yeah. just anyways again i think it kind of speaks to this sort of renaissance we're having right now right mm-hmm. like sword and sorcery seems healthy Healthier is than when we first started the
0: show. Is there a world more fun than the world of Fafford and Mouse? I mean,
1: uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it's whimsy in the right ways, you know. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, yeah, I like those. Stories. I don't
2: know. I would not want to live in uh, Lankmar at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, Lankmar. We, I mean, yeah, yeah I would probably like have a, a bad time there. You know.
0: Yeah, our <laughs> life know. would be. Yeah, our life would be brutish, savage, and short.
1: Yeah, wouldn't yeah. make it. If I didn't have a buddy like uh, those two killers, I'd be be in trouble.
2: Right.
0: But uh,
1: the Dying Earth uh, thing is really interesting to me, especially when you consider the RPG context, right? So much of that Vancean magic made its way into Mm -hmm. D&D, prismatic Mm -hmm. spray, right? I always remember reading that. I was like, what the hell is that?
0: Mm -hmm. And then when I
1: got older and realized, oh, that's actually from something.
0: Yeah. All you have to do is read the appendix N at the end of the, I think it's the DM guide yep. of first edition and all those books that we love are right there in that game.
2: Yeah. Just it's, the idea of a, like a wizard um, tagging their spells, you know, like if a wizard has it, you know, so-and-so's, um, uh, Melf's acid arrow, right? There are examples yeah. of that in Dances fiction, but the wizard yeah, has yeah. the name. Do you know how Melf
0: got his name? Um, I
2: don't know. <laughs>
0: That is Luke Gygax's character when huh. he was playing D and D with his father. Yeah. And so Melf was the character and they put that in the game for him. So That's who
1: awesome. was Bigby? One of them had to be Bigby with all the hands <laughs>
0: that I don't know. I don't know. Uh-huh. that stuff.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my knowledge of Vance is pretty shallow Um it's interesting. I I wrote a short story and people compared it to Jack Vance, right? They're like, Oh yeah, he's really playing in some Vancian things here. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I didn't even read that. I've never even read one of those stories. So Vance. it goes to show the sort of influence you have right from the various steps. Cause obviously those things came from somewhere for me. I didn't come up with it really. Yeah. Um. You know, just fragments you take from other things, but
2: like percolated up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've since read a few of those stories and they are super cool. Like, yeah, I, I I look forward to reading more of that. But if you didn't know that was a thing and you like sword and sorcery and you like role playing games, I suggest you check out um, the Dying Earth RPG Kickstarter from Goodman Games because they make good games.
0: And they are good people.
1: And they are good people. And actually, interestingly, I heard Howard say, Howard Andrew Jones, who edits uh, Tales from the Magician Skull, He said the kind of ethos with that magazine was to uh, provide stories that tie into that appendix N. Mm -hmm. Um, So it would be like, you know, essentially, they're kind of continuing on in a way. And of course, they provide stats, etc. for uh, the monsters featured in those stories, which is super cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's one I needed to shout out to. Dean, you had one other one too, didn't you?
0: Yeah, it's another Kickstarter that is currently going on right now. And it is the third edition of Swords, Sorcery, and Weird Science Fantasy Hyperborea. And it is straight up an homage to um, the world of, and it says right here, the milieu of Hyperborea are inspired by the fantastic literature of Robert E. Howard, H.P. Lovecraft. Clark Ashton Smith Smith, and other inspirational authors include Edgar Rice Burroughs, Fritz Leiber, Abraham Merritt, Michael Moorcock, Jack Vance, and Carl Edward Wagner. 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 Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, it's out right now and it's coming out in the two-volume uh, reissue, third edition. And it is... Um, unlike D and D you're not going to find a whole lot of elves and dwarves and things like that. And Hobbits, Mm -hmm. it is straight up, you know, human based and, Mm -hmm. um, and more along the lines of what some of us, well, I don't remember this far back, but the 1974 edition of D &D. and
2: D. The art for those books is the art for those books are amazing. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, They're beautiful. I've never played, um, but people do stand by it. They say they're really good
2: Mm -hmm. now.
1: I got a question for you guys that that kind of brought up. How do you feel? So that's a third edition. Yeah. Uh, what do you think a subsequent edition of a game should offer? First of all, I will just say, I hate the idea of additions, not because I don't think they're necessary. Not because I don't think there's a reason for them. I just hate having to like convert or change over. Like, yeah. what do you guys want from a follow-up edition?
0: You are preaching to the choir here. I am getting tired of edition upon Mm edition upon edition. I'm tired of having to shell out money. Um, I don't want it to be like uh, maybe you guys are familiar with advanced squad leader where they would send you updates in the mail and you'd have to put it in a three ring binder. And eventually you had to have an entire cabinet full of, you know, (laughs) rule books and stuff like that. You had to quit your job to learn the rules. Um, I love squad leader, by the way. I do, too. Love (laughs) it. Love it. I don't play advanced, but I play regular. So, or the first edition, I guess. But what comes out of an, I don't know. Um, Sometimes I just throw my hands up and say, okay, I'll buy the new edition and relearn the rules. What I really look for is get rid of the stuff that bogs it down, slows it down, or just is too crunchy to make, you know, it takes the fun away. That's what I want out of an edition. I don't want a complete revamp of stuff. Um, And maybe that's just me being selfish.
2: Hmm. But that's, I think it's reasonable. I I really like them, um, like new editions because um it it's an occasion to get back into the game. Like I mm-hmm. you know, when uh uh you know second I'm sorry, not second, when a um fourth edition was coming out, uh, a lot of my friends were like, Oh, this is horrible and stuff. Meanwhile, like we're playing D and D again for the first time in like a year and we're buying all the stuff and buying and, and it. And we, we had, you know, eventually we stopped playing fourth, but like for, for a couple of years, there was like a lot of energy in the, in the community. Maybe it's a really lame excuse for editions, but like it, it does like kind of introduce new players. Like a lot of like young people will then go out and buy the books because mm-hmm. they're now new and shiny. And the arc gets to change. Maybe the arc is to be updated for like a new community, you know. like mm-hmm. um,
0: Well, um, I, mean, I mean, for some people, like let's say I did back the Hyperborea. I'm mm-hmm. coming in it on the third edition. I don't have to relearn anything.
1: Yeah, you're reaping no, the benefits of previous reaping editions.
0: The benefits. And the people who are coming in on 5th edition D&D are reaping the same benefits. They've figured mm-hmm. out all the stuff that didn't work. Yeah, So,
1: and actually what you said there, Jason, about sort of getting excited again uh, and there being a sort of rumble in the air and there's yeah. new stuff to kind of digest. That was kind of our experience with 5th ed too we hadn't we'd been playing 3.5 and then i don't know what we did after that we kind of moved on to board games for a while
2: mm-hmm.
1: but when fifth came out you know we were reading about it and we got into it and we we're like this edition is awesome and it did really kind of revitalize us and i still think fifth ed is friggin awesome and it would be my it would be my go-to for dnd because i think that like it being the fifth edition now, obviously, I can hear Grognards groaning everywhere right now, but <laughs> yes exactly. for, for me i I really love what they did in that book, top to bottom. I like the art less than say you know second ed a d and d, which is not to be touched as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. but
2: mm-hmm.
1: the actual mechanics they sort of made it accessible, which I think is important. They brought it back to the r o l e play there's enough to do with stats and uh customizing your character um that I would be satisfied I can see how it kind of bought like you'll reach a ceiling eventually if you're one of those super crunchy 3.5 guys but that's the same feeling my group got we we're like yeah D&D we're back in yeah.
2: I have a question what yeah. why aren't there um because I don't care for the new art either like I love for you know advanced dungeon dragons art like the black and white uh, kind of sketchy yeah. line art yeah, like yeah. I wonder if there's ever been any discussion about doing like a fifth edition player's handbook, you know, with the old art. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of the alienation that people experience, like, that they might not give enough credit to. The, maybe it's the art that's that they're, that they're making them go alienated from the new edition. You yeah. Know,
0: but I don't know.
2: It's yeah. interesting.
0: That's uh, an interesting question because um, I don't know if you had a chance to read the book, um, The Eye of the Beholder. It's the art of Dungeons and Dragons.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: and, the, doc, the documentary. There's yes. a doc. There's a documentary. Yeah, it's on Prime. I did right. watch that. I loved it. And the I signed
0: up art, yes art and
2: arcana
0: Yeah, art and arcana You're right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got that um, too. It um, it talks about that 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 art was so iconic that it probably had as much to do with you know advancing the game as anything else. Um, um and I've met some of those artists at conventions. I'm sure you have too. I mean, if you've been to any of these, like a Gary Con, right? you know yeah darlene was there larry aylmore was there um mm-hmm. you know these people who are iconic in the old D uh
2: i talked to errol otis for like yeah uh 10 minutes and then he walked away and then uh, right. my friend was like we were just talking to errol otis i'm like oh you know like i didn't you know <laughs> didn't weigh out anything, but i had no idea yeah he didn't like say excuse me i am errol otis. but yeah, jason and yeah. Yeah,
0: jason and i were talking before you came on you were uh Shushing your children and shooting them out of the house and drinking or something like that. Um, about the woods, children. <laughs> yeah, um, how I used to have a podcast called The Grognards because I've been gaming for quite a while and we were kind of delving deep into Fifth Edition D and D, and we started to realize that we really had an affinity for the older version. Not against anything about Fifth Edition, but we just liked, I think, some of the aspects of First Edition more. It was more. We thought it was more deadly we thought it was just a little bit more, I don't know know how to explain it, but we just realized after a while. You're a
1: special kind of, I'm just saying. I'm a special kind of what? Yeah. No, not you, not you. You have to be a special kind of, of of crummy player to die in fifth ed. Yes. Like they have, they have these various steps where, so, right. And I agree. That's, that's a huge thing. Is it like, and that's why I like the Conan 2d20 a lot too, was because one really bad hit can end you. Yeah. And without that fear, I, I don't know what kind of I don't know bingo. that that as a GM, I want the players to be a little bit afraid.
2: Yeah, and you bingo. should be,
1: man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've been playing the last RPG we played was uh, the new Alien one from Free League Publishing, and it's awesome, but. You're basically told to roll up a couple of characters because one of your dudes, like people, are going to die in this session. It's part of the, it's part of the flavor, right? It's a horror game, and you know there should be yeah. some fear, man. There should right. be. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's yeah. it's different for different players. Like, I mean, some if I'm playing with like a uh, like a thirteen year old,
0: I'm yeah, not yeah. gonna
2: I'm not gonna kill their character, but no, so, no, like. No. If my uh, brothers uh, playing with me, I I just might um, you know allow that critical hit to uh, take his character. I actually killed my little brother's uh, character um, in high school. The story we tell. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and I I just I feel like D and D has kind of uh, evolved into that a little bit more, where it's like you're supposed to have this legacy character who just ends up retiring, not so much dying, uh, which is cool. I mean that is that's a version of it, but. I think the older I get, I want something a little more brutal and a little more, I don't know. You got to worry about it. Like, it should be scary at times.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, where are we at now?
0: Well, I mean, if you want to do a quick rapid fire, I got three that I think are worth mentioning. Okay. Do
1: some quick rapid fires. I'm going to fill my cup.
0: (laughs) Sure. Um, The first one is, I think you guys will uh, probably recognize uh, some of these names here, Barbarians of Lemuria. The uh, scene or Thongor of Lemuria by Lynn Carter, an entire RPG system set up based around that. Is that not ringing a bell with anybody? Well, I guess. Thongor.
2: uh, Thongor,
0: thongor, yeah. um, Yeah. So Thongor uh, is, you know. Lynn Carter. Yeah, Lynn Carter. And there's an entire one. It's called, uh, I just said it here, Barbarians of Lemuria. And it's kind of a cool little, you were mentioning the uh, pen and uh, ink artwork. Uh, this whole rule book is filled with that. And it's all based around the Lynn Carter, Thangor, uh and the Maria books. And so hmm. that's out there for people who are interested. Uh, another one, which I think is really, it apparently is very popular, at least it is on Board Game Geek. It's a board game, I think, that's maybe a reskin of HeroQuest. It's called Broadsword a game of Legendary sword, Heroes, sword. Epic Adventure from 19, uh, 2018. So it's only a few years old and uh, it's supposed to be uh, kind of a uh, RPG light slash board game, cooperative board game. So
1: I get all tingly when people say RPG light.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. Now that's <laughs> a great that's my segue, speed, man. And a great segue because when I was down at Howard days, I was staying with a friend of mine, his name is Henry. And he collects games because they are – they just pique his interest, whether he plays them or not. And he also buys rule books just to read. And one that he had that he plays with his daughter, and his daughter is 15 years old, and they do a solo RPG game. And it's just he is a GM and she as the player. So it's her and maybe a couple of minions or henchmen or whatever you want to call it. That's they awesome. use the Chronica Fudalis rule set. And if you have not read this rule book, it's like maybe 80 pages, if that. But what it is, it's written as if this monk or it, it, as the author has found these manuscripts and pieced together this diary of a monk in the 12th century England and how they made their life a little bit more entertaining by playing this game In their off hours, you know, after their matins and their mass and all that stuff. And it's really cool. It's very RPG light to give Mm -hmm. you that thrill, Matt. And Mm -hmm. I read the yeah, I read (laughs) the rules over the weekend. And I'm like, I'm picking this one up at Gen Con because I think it could be uh, a really interesting way to uh, play an RPG when you don't want to get really into the thick of creating, you know an entire adventure in dnd or something like that so it's called yeah. chronica feudalis and i cannot find for the life of me who publishes it but it's by jeremy keller and apparently okay. he's a medievalist
1: who's not come on <laughs> exactly yeah
0: well he's renowned according to this renowned medievalist and rpg scholar jeremy yes. keller
1: rpg scholar Oh, well. jeez jason that's nerdier
2: than you <laughs>
0: <laughs> it sounds like john peterson from the uh uh, uh playing at the world book
2: I, yeah. I was on a i was on a um i'm, I'm name dropping right now but i was on a panel with uh john peterson at, at gary con. oh nice you were, were right? you really we about, yeah we talked about um appendix N. can it i was, um, ask you what year was gen con or gary con that you were at it was uh, a couple years ago um that'll be uh, I think it was 2019. It was the last one. Um, it was really, really cold in uh, Lake Geneva. It was like, yeah. extremely cold. James right. Louder was on it. He's the former uh, TSR um, fiction editor. Um, and then uh, John Peterson. Um, we, we basically talked about the wow. appearance. Yeah.
0: I actually listened to you. I was there.
2: Oh, oh really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was a small it was a, world. It was, mm-hmm. it was a great. I, that was like such an amazing uh, convention i i really loved gary Khan. where is gary Khan? it is
0: in um lake geneva wisconsin
2: hmm. yeah and uh, the home
0: of gen con the home of gary gygax the home and of it's, everything
2: it's held at a resort that was a former um playboy uh what is it guess like it was the playboy mansion yeah 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 um, damn it's, yeah it's, it's that's really, some
1: contrast
2: yeah it's very awkward <laughs> it's like, the, the nerds, the the and the, the d nerds are hanging out in this place. They probably never would have found themselves in it, so. yeah. yeah, 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 exactly.
0: Yeah, one <laughs> of the original Gen Cons was at this Playboy Mansion, and uh, it was the only place available because Gen Con had grown so much. And so <laughs> they moved to the, it's called the, what is it, uh, Grand Geneva Lodge now, I think. But at one time. It the
2: Grand Geneva, yeah.
0: Yeah, the yeah. Grand Geneva. But we're getting off into the weeds on that. So Sorry. I was Sorry. I was uh, going down the no, lane for. That no, that's career. funny. Yeah.
1: That's that's in, Those those are interesting tidbits. I like those. Um
0: That's all uh, I've got me. for the Rapid Fire stuff.
1: Yeah, uh there was something I was going to add there and I don't remember what it was. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Um so we've got um I mean we can briefly so Again, we usually bring this all back to sword and sorcery, but I'm increasingly less worried about uh, sorry catfight. <laughs> um, literal catfight. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, just to look at video games very briefly, um, I've been playing Conan Exiles, a game we talk about on this show all the time, but I picked up the um, Isle of Sipta expansion and started bombing around in there um and it seems it's pretty cool like there's um for those familiar i mean this is a survival game you're going to be breaking rocks and cutting down trees it's actually kind of anti-sword and sorcery (laughs) as weird as it is because you're spending time building your house you know, you're storing up these things, you're collecting all this, you're, you're organizing. It's just, it's not a man of action game. Um, but that's what I find so interesting about sort of licensing and, and, and playing with mediums. Mm-hmm. Conan can be a survival game. That's interesting set in that world. It doesn't reflect the story arcs, but the world itself lends itself to that. And I I don't I don't have any issue with that. Like, sure, a better Conan game would probably be, you know, a single player, third person, action adventure, heavy combat game. But this is cool, too. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's it's kind of getting maybe a little farther away from what Howard's doing. I haven't explored this aisle too much. But there's this cool element where instead of a sandstorm, you've got this like maelstrom or a tempest or something. Essentially, it's a storm. But what it does is, once you're in it, it essentially lightning bolts down these um, creatures, these outer dark monstrosities, I assume. Um, and they'll like kick your ass if you're <laughs> not ready for it. But. I was like, "Oh, cool! Something just popped out to fight." Went over to it, and it just slayed me. Um, but it it does seem to be it seems to be a cool expansion. Um, the thing I love a lot about that game is a juxtaposition of like natural beauty and bloodshed. I'm a big fan of that idea, you know. <laughs>
2: like, sword and sorcery uh, does pu- uh, violence beautifully. Yeah, like, yeah. In, like, like turns violence into I, that, that sounds creepy, but like, if you no, it does, if you, I read, agree. If, if you read Howard, like there's a story he wrote, um, worms of the earth, uh, I'm not sorry, not worms of the earth. Um, <laughs> the Valley of the worm we, we already talked about. Worms. Oh yeah. The Valley yeah. of the, 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 worm, it's his, um, Steve, um, Allison story. And yeah. it's, there's this uh, description of a medieval battle, like it's poetry, but it's terrifying. Right? It's, it talks yeah, about yeah. like the, the anyhow, um, I think no, I, I think felt, the idea felt, of beauty and, and and violence is very much a combined is very much a sword and sorcery thing. Yeah,
1: I think um, well, actually, uh, what's the other one? Uh, Children of the Night. That Knight. is not
2: an endorsement of violence. I'm not a violent not, person
1: not, at all. Don't worry about it. We're not the. <laughs> yeah. I had my five year old playing Mortal Kombat today, and I was like, "That's not shouldn't allow no. that." No. Yeah, like he, he understands the difference. I think. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but is that? Um, that reminds me too of uh, Children of the Night which is also, it's like that is a savagely violent tale but again, Mm -hmm. I don't know Howard's a he can just spin it in such a way that you're like Mm -hmm. ah, that's rad and I think actually Seth Lindberg uh, I don't know if I got his name right I think he has a column he publishes on the Black Gate about that very topic, the idea of beauty and sword and sorcery
2: yeah
1: yeah. so i guess i guess we're not far off Mm -hmm. so i would say that's cool for conan exiles i'm enjoying it um there's something weirdly therapeutic about breaking rocks storing them building stuff organizing a house it's the again it's kind of anti-sword and sorcery but
0: i guess that's part of the reason i have never picked up that game i'm i'm not much into the builder games
1: yeah it's a time sink but yeah the, the thing is too Yes, it's a builder game, but then you have the times where, like, all right, you've got yourself geared up. You got a sword and a shield. You got a torch going out. You're exploring stuff. You're like, I want to know what that thing over there is. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go find out. So I'm going to get appropriately geared up to do it. And you're scared in this game because if you die, everything stays on your corpse and you got to go back and find it. So there's that, again, there's that fear element, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like,
2: yeah. Oh, I mean, the combat um, in the game is very sword and sword. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's bloody and yeah. You know, yeah. And Arms
1: are falling off. Brutal. And bodies are nice. flopping. It's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, I mean, I don't I was playing a bit of Hellblade Sinuous Sacrifice. Have any of you played that?
0: Cannot say I have.
1: So I'm not gonna go deep into it, but it's it's a beautiful game. Um I think it's a PlayStation exclusive. PlayStation 4. Maybe it was on PC too very much in Celtic and Nordic uh, or in Norse mythology, but a very dark game and kind of a puzzle game where you got to kind of look around at the environments um, and see you're, you're trying to spot very subtle things. So it's, um, I don't know, it's kind of hard to explain, but the aesthetics and the sound design um, really, if you're into sword and sorcery stuff i think you'd dig that game and it's it's a fairly budget game um so if that sort of a format appeals to you definitely worth checking out just for the atmosphere um yeah i mean i don't
2: know uh, video game front who knows oh volheim that's a sword and sorcery uh <laughs> I've, kind of sword and sorcery game.
1: yeah i've not played that but uh some friends of mine like sunk a lot of time into that they seem to really dig it
2: oh it's it's I think it's amazing. Yeah, my, my wife and I have been playing that a lot.
1: Yeah, and it's not too much of a hog to run, is it?
2: Mm-mm. Yeah. It's still beautiful though, even though it's kind of graphically um, abstract. It, it doesn't go for for realism, and it's, it's it's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the stage we're at with video games too. If you just you don't have to have a beast, you just need to have do interesting things with with the graphics,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is nice. Although I just got a PlayStation Five, so I'm ready to go. Give me your triple <laughs> A
2: titles. That's hilarious. But that said, I will have the most graphically intensive console. Ever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. So I don't know, man. We've been at this for quite a time. Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we should say our farewells to those people who don't have three-hour commutes, huh?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we're pushing. Uh... Pretty close to two hours on
1: this one. Damn, we're breaking records.
0: <laughs> the
1: mm-hmm. people asked for more, so we're getting more episodes out and longer. The people didn't
0: ask for more. I just kind of am hoping they want more. We're gonna give them quality and quantity.
1: Yeah. And one of and their choice of one free item off Dean's weapon rack in the background.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Take a pick from a uh, Hewing Spear of partisan a bill even a, a uh, english warhammer
1: a want, goose arm a,
0: but you can't have my conan swords you can't have my swords. No, swords. you have a bardiche expensive. i do not have a bardiche what not. is
1: the old pole arm oh. weapon it's like a goose arm a go- how do you say that do you guys know what i'm talking about a gizar, gizar? gizar. is it french is
0: yeah. yeah french weapon yeah yeah so it's a lot of fun when i uh I still do reenacting, and it'll probably come back around once the uh, pandemic allows people to do that again. Yeah. Um, well, Renaissance fairs are open, so I imagine that the uh, reenacting stuff is going to start happening again. I really—that's one of the cool things I like to do—is show off some of the weapons. My wife says, "You buy all the weapons and they hang on the <laughs> hang on the wall, and I buy shoes and I get to wear them." Um, but you know, if I get to take them out to a, re- a Renaissance fair or a reenactment, then.
1: My yeah <laughs> or if people are breaking into your house Dean it's the ultimate fantasy. That's right. That's right. Yep. <laughs> That's what yeah, I yep. imagine the American fantasy is. Arming yourself <laughs> so that someone breaks into your house. The That's Canadian good. one is it, it, you know, I just forged this stupid hammer. Uh, uh I was in this metalworking course and I made this like maul and I'm like yeah. They're like, yeah, no one will break into your house. I'm like, I'm in Canada, man. If I kill someone don't. in a mall in my house, I'm probably going to jail. <laughs> There's <laughs> other paths.
2: <laughs> so you would just deter like a, a grizzly bear or something like that. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. No moose. Have, you may not come in.
0: I have two German shepherds. I'll know far earlier than most people will if somebody's yeah. in my house that doesn't belong. so.
1: I mean, I don't break into houses, but yeah, I'm going yeah. to. I would not yeah.
0: choose Dean's residence. Yeah. You got to get through the German Shepherds and then, you know,
2: yeah. the That's a lot of, of The Gisam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, The, the guzam. A, a lot little, of
1: friction. A lot of friction to get in there.
2: Those weapons are not very suitable
0: for a two-story house with a staircase. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> so. All right. Well, gentlemen. The, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, my swords are sharp no <laughs> i'm giving you your segue <laughs> do they always remain sharp that's our that's our double
0: unnecessary descriptor yes they remain sharp unless i right. use them
1: uh wait a second are your Conan swords actually sharpened yes they are you did sharpen them
0: mm, i had that option you had the to... option yeah yes so, i won't and...
1: lie i I considered taking them to my metalworking uh, course I was doing through university um, to sharpen them. And I was like, nah, I got a five-year-old.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: he can play with the hammer. <laughs> Raise them right. And they won't hurt themselves. Well, exactly. I mean, teach them the difference. Mm-hmm. And on that note, on that note, on that note, <laughs> uh, I want to thank uh, Jason for joining us. Thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, Glad to have you. You will be back. Um, I mean, if you're willing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And Dean, for uh, your co-hosting duties, we're having a good time here. Mm -hmm. Um, We hope to get out more regular content. I think we have a special guest lined up for perhaps the next episode. I'm quite excited about. I won't say anything in case that falls through. Um, In the meantime, may your swords always remain sharp.